Let us pray. Holy God, open our hearts and minds to this reading of scripture, that it might help our understanding and aid us in our doing. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So our second scripture lesson is from the letter of James in chapter one, beginning at verse 17. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I begin by telling you a story about two men that I got to know when I was in Michigan. Their names are Kevin and Larry. And they lived with several other men in a group home. Both had intellectual disabilities. The men had once been friends, but were increasingly at odds with each other. I met them through a program called Rejoicing Spirits. The purpose of the program is to work with congregations to develop worship services that are meaningful for persons with intellectual and developmental disabilities. We designed such a service at the First Presbyterian Church of Birmingham and held it twice each month on a Sunday afternoon with supper afterwards to build community among those who were present. The service emphasized one central theme each time. And that theme was reinforced by songs, by prayers, by the scripture, the preaching, and the preaching often involved a participatory skit. 
Interestingly, many church members also attended this service, finding it meaningful uh, and as meaningful as the morning service, but more fun than regular worship because it was participatory. Each person had an instrument to play, drums, chimes, triangles, etc., and of course, the possibility of being in the skit. Well, on one particular Sunday, the theme was forgiveness. Now, you'll recall that my friends Kevin and Larry had a long history of conflict and animus. In fact, there had been talk of separating them and moving one of the men to another group home. So imagine them being in this worship service when the importance of forgiveness is being preached. I'll have more to say about those two gentlemen, but let's first examine what the letter of James tells us about anger. Before James speaks about hearing and doing the word, he advises this, quote, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. As I said earlier in the children's message, we must listen carefully in order to hear and we must hear rightly before we know the right thing to do. But listening to something you may not want to hear is a tall order. And I particularly wondered what was going through Kevin's mind as he sat in church that day. I know that he loves church. He would usher at our Sunday morning worship service and he served as a faithful acolyte for my Wednesday evening service. I knew that hearing God's word was very important to him. Hearing the word and doing the word, to use James' terminology, are interconnected and interdependent aspects of faithful living. If we don't regularly listen for God's word in a disciplined fashion, we risk not understanding what faithful living requires. Why is that? As James, Paul the Apostle, and Jesus tell us time and again, two realities exist side by side. There is God's reality and there is the world's reality. In the reality of the world, the self is generally at the center. What benefits oneself is good. What confirms one's own values is good. What leads to the security and happiness of the self is good. Anything else is, at the very least, suspect. In God's reality, Christ is at the center. Anything done for the benefit of the self rather than out of love for others is, at the very least, suspect. From the perspective of the world's values, the validity of doing something is measured in terms of the satisfaction or happiness it brings oneself. From the perspective of Christ at the center, the value of doing something is measured in terms of whether God is pleased. 
Let's return to the worship service where Kevin and Larry are seated a distance apart, hearing words preached about forgiveness. When the time came for the prayers of the people, individuals were given the opportunity to take a portable handheld microphone and speak their prayer requests. Kevin suddenly got out of his seat, walked to where Larry was seated, and gave him a hug and asked his forgiveness. Was God pleased? There's no question in my mind. Kevin was able to move self out of the center of his existence, even for that moment, hear God's word to him and put anger aside for someone who had aggravated and annoyed him over a long period of time. For faithful living, we must constantly practice moving the self out of the center of our existence. One way to do that is to be in worship on Sunday. In worship, the focus is on God. If we are asking ourselves, how is God speaking to me in the words spoken, the word preached, the words sung, the confession affirmed, and the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper participated in, we are asking the right question. We have the proper focus. These things remind us about what God's reality is. Recall that Kevin's act of forgiveness occurred during a worship service. In worship, we have a prime opportunity to hear what God is saying to us. Remember how Jesus was constantly angered and dismayed by our inability to listen for God's word and hear it. Let anyone with ears to hear listen, he would say time and again. He was particularly dismayed when tradition was the rationale for failing to hear God's word. Now we are still prone to stick with tradition. We all can easily go through the motions of sitting in church, oblivious, to hearing God's word for us. We are preoccupied by our own thoughts and fears, our worries and burdens. I'm as guilty of this as anybody. I'll be listening to a sermon and at the end of church, my wife will ask me, so what did you get out of the sermon? And I'm trying to remember what the key point was. I hope that you'll remember something of this sermon, however. Uh, our traditional patterns and rules do give us confidence and help reduce our anxiety. Now, let me be clear, tradition is not a bad thing. The issue is whether we listen for God's word so that we truly hear that word. If our doing is a faithful response to hearing what God has said to us, then our doing will bless others and bless ourselves. And that's James 1, verse 25. I know that Kevin's act of forgiveness toward Larry blessed them both. So how does tradition get in the way? Traditional thinking would argue that Kevin should have waited for Larry to recognize 
how his behavior had caused conflict with Kevin before Kevin bothered to approach him with forgiveness. I mean, wasn't Larry's behavior his problem, not Kevin's? Let's consider tradition with a wider scope. By tradition, men have been favored for leadership positions over women. Yet we know that leadership skills have nothing to do with gender. In the military, more women are being selected for general officer positions as the military makes a determined effort to reverse a bias stemming from a male-oriented tradition. Corporations are trying to do the same thing. Tradition dictated that women should not be ordained to the ministry of word and sacrament. Elder Lillian Alexander from this congregation introduced a resolution to permit the ordination of women clergy back in 1953. She wanted the church to recognize the value of women as church leaders. And the Presbyterian Church USA passed that resolution in 1955. By tradition, marriage was only acceptable between a man and a woman. It was the tradition of the church to understand sexuality in binary terms and to understand normal sexual orientation as strictly heterosexual. Science has taught us, however, that sexuality is not binary. That is, a person cannot always be defined as either a man or a woman. Sexuality falls along a continuum. Gender identity has multiple expressions. And sexual orientation is not dictated by assigned sex at birth and may not be heterosexual. But it took the church a long time to catch up with this. Our denomination now permits the marriage of two persons regardless of the gender identity of those two persons. The emphasis is where it should be on the commitment of those persons to make an exclusive covenant to be loving and faithful to each other. More significantly, our denomination no longer uses identity as LGBTQ as reason enough to prevent an individual's ordination to ministry. It took a long time for the church to realize that it is not defiled, to use James's word, by differences in its midst. Rather, as Jesus stated in our Mark passage, it is evil intentions coming from the heart that debase a person. Jesus never felt defiled by his contact with those individuals whom the Jewish world in his time judged to be unclean. All persons, in Jesus' view, were beloved children of God. He certainly admonished some persons for their behavior, though never for their sexuality or for their sexual orientation. And those he admonished were typically people with power and authority in his society. Their sin was to misunderstand and misapply God's commandments. 
The Apostle Paul and James want us to experience the freedom we have in Christ to step away from traditional values in the world that hurt or belittle others, church values included, in order to do what love requires. It is that commitment to being God's love that enables us to forgive others and also keeps us from the sinful behaviors Jesus lists in the final three verses of the passage we heard Lynette read. Of course, we will continue to be prone to do things that grieve God, but in perfecting our listening and our hearing in worship and elsewhere, we practice responding to God's grace with Christ at the center. Hearing and doing, two interconnected and interdependent sides of faithful living. My challenge to us all this day is this. Look into the mirror and see the child of God whom you are, as well as the ways in which self and not Christ is at the center of your hearing and doing. Then look into the perfect law of liberty as James admonishes and consider what actions love requires of you today. Caring for the vulnerable, for those who need us, and Larry needed Kevin. Caring for the vulnerable is true religion, pure and undefiled before God, to quote James. Consider today what the need of another person you know requires of you. Don't think about how that act of compassion will affect you or be judged by others. Consider only that other person's vulnerability and what you can do through a gesture or a word or some act of kindness to be God's love in that person's life. You will then be blessed in your doing. Practice looking for signs of God's grace and grow into the transformation of your mind. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.